Turn in your Bibles to Genesis chapter 25, and if you want to grab that all-in booklet, you can follow along with your sermon notes on uh, page 60 as we finish up now a two-month series that we have entitled Abraham and All-In Life. And for the last uh, two months, we have been watching a man who stands tall in all of human history. Now, why does he stand so tall? Why is he such a great man? It's not because he invented some new form of technology. It's not because he led great armies into great conquests. It isn't because he was some great legislature, uh, legislator who, who wrote great uh, legal words for a society. It wasn't because he was an athletic prowess that, that powered and did awesome things on an athletic field. The reason why this man is so important to our lives, the reason why this man is so important to our faith is because he did one thing and he did one thing well, and that is he believed God. He believed God, and it's articulated that he believed God in the Old Testament. It's articulated that he believed God in the New Testament. And he serves as a model for each and every one of us. He believed God when God spoke to him. He believed God when it would seem crazy to do so from a human standpoint. He would believe God even when it went against all hope or thoughts that things were going to turn out the way they did. He believed God. And what did God do as he believed in God? He called Abraham a friend. He walked with Abraham along the journey. He walked with Abraham all the days of his life and he would bless Abraham again and again and again. Though Abraham's life may have been difficult, though he would have failed numerous times along the way, his belief in God was the rudder for his ship, for his vessel that enabled him to do great things for God. And for that, we thank God for this man, Abraham. Now, as we've been learning in our series, we've been learning what it means to live an all-in life. We've learned from the life of Abraham that it means that we need to trust God and follow God. What it means to prioritize and and serve God, what it means to celebrate God when good things happen and trust God when difficult times come. But most importantly, we learned what it means to surrender to God as we learned the story of Abraham's willingness to surrender his one and only son, knowing that God had a plan and a purpose for all that he was asking of Abraham in his life. We've learned what it means to be all in. And we've learned that we too are called to such a life, to such an endeavor. But in order to follow and trust and prioritize and celebrate and in fact surrender, all of those things will happen to the same degree to which you and I believe God. Let me explain. If you and I believe in God in little ways... We will trust and follow and prioritize and surrender to God in little ways. But if we have a robust and and full belief and understanding of who God is and we love to experience him in greater and greater ways, then our trust and our faith and our surrender and priority to him will become larger and larger. It will encompass more and more of our lives. 
This is what Abraham has taught us. Turn in your Bibles to Genesis 25 this morning. Genesis 25. And we're coming to the end of Abraham's life. We're going to read in our text today that Abraham, like all men, dies. And what we're going to learn is that even in his death, Abraham models for us what it means to live a life that leaves a legacy. This morning we're going to read about him dying, but there's much that has taken place since Genesis 22, when Abraham is willing to surrender Isaac on an altar before God gives the provision of a ram and the time when Abraham dies. Let me share a couple with you. Number one, we learn that Sarah, Abraham's wife, dies. We learn that Abraham goes to great lengths to bury her and to mourn over her death. Number two, we see that Abraham will search for a bride for Isaac, and he will find one that is suitable for him in the woman named Rebekah. Number three, we're going to see Abraham experience the joy of seeing two grandchildren brought into his life, Jacob and Esau. We're also going to see that since the time of Abraham, I'm sorry, Sarah's death, Abraham has been alone, and Abraham chooses to find himself a new wife. Her name would be Keturah. And we're going to see in Genesis 25, 1 and 2, that she gives birth to more and more and more sons. And those sons would make Abraham a grandfather many times over. And so this morning, we have the great opportunity to look at the last chapter of this patriarch's life and learn three blessings of what it means when we believe God. So let's turn our attention to Genesis 25 this morning. If you don't have a Bible with you, grab that pew Bible in the pew rack in front of you. And uh, our passage is on page 19. Here's what the text says. It says that Abraham took another wife whose name was Keturah. Now, she bore him all kinds of great people, right? I'm not even going to try to pronounce all of these names, but you've got them. You've got Zim and, and Joe and me and... I can do Midian, that's easy. Ishbak, I like him. Shua, these are all great names, ladies, if you're looking to uh, name one of your children. We don't have a lot of these names here. And it goes on and it names the grandsons, and the names get even harder, right? And then it goes on and it says that to the sons of the concubines, Abraham gave gifts. And while he was still living, he sent them away from his son Isaac eastward to the east country. It says, these are the days of the years of Abraham's life, 175 years. Abraham breathed his last, died in a good old age, an old man, and full of years, and was gathered to his people. That is, he went to be with the dead. Isaac and Ishmael, his sons, buried him. And it says they buried him in a cave. And it continues to go on in verse 11. It says, after the death of Abraham... God blessed Isaac, his son. Now let's stop there. And this morning what we're going to learn is three important truths about what happens when we believe God. But before we do so, let me take a moment and pray. Father God, we come before you and I thank you for this incredible service already this morning. Thank you for the testimony of each of the Decatur uh, ladies, Lord, that share the the deep uh, sense of life change 
how you've changed their life, how you've used this church and the people in this church to impact their lives. Lord, I'm so thankful as we continue to learn through this all-in season of how you are impacting so many lives through your gospel and through your church. Now, Lord, I pray that we would remain steadfast and faithful, that we would continue to serve and honor you, and we would use Abraham as a, a human model for what it means to live a life that leaves a legacy. To do so, Lord, we need to believe in you. We need to believe in you with all our heart each and every day and believe that your promises are right and true. We love you and give you the great opportunity to worship and adore you now. And it's in Christ's name we pray. Amen and amen. Well, Amanda and I had the great privilege of uh, being a part of the funeral services for Omar Sutherland this last Thursday. For some of you who don't know, Omar and his wife Rose were some of our founding members of Village Bible Church. In fact, this church, before it had this property, before it had these buildings, before it had the many campuses that it now has, started in a living room in a home in Sugar Grove of Omar and Rose Sutherland. Omar and Rose served for many, many years as missionaries of ours with Campus Crusade Ministries. They are the quintessential disciple-makers that God has called all of us as Christians to be a part of. And his service was one that celebrated the life of a man who lived life well. And amidst the service, a quote was given, a quote from a man named Matthew Henry. For those that don't know, about 400 years ago, Matthew Henry would write one of the most um, well-beloved and most sold Bible commentaries that's ever been written. Matthew Henry was a godly man whose study of Scripture has helped numerous Christians far beyond anything that Matthew Henry would have ever thought. Well, on his deathbed, Matthew Henry shared a quote, and he said the following, A life spent in the service of God... And communion with him is the most comfortable and pleasant life that anyone can live in this world. Now, let's just sit there for a moment. I want us to read that and to let that sink in. A life spent in the service of God and in communion with him is the most comfortable and pleasant life that anyone can live in this world. Let me ask you this morning, do we believe that? Do we believe that? That a life dedicated to God and walking with God is going to make us most comfortable and most pleasant in this world. That is the life. That is what we're searching for. Sadly, the world says no to this. But even more tragic is that most Christians say they believe that all the while living as the world is calling them to live. You see, Matthew Henry got it right. I think Omar Sutherland got it right. I think Abraham got it right. Those three men knew that if they dedicated their life to walking and talking and living faithfully with God, they would find the peace. They would find the contentment. They would find what they were looking for in this world. Will we? Will we? This morning we come to a passage of scripture that is altogether what I would like to say earthy. 
There's nothing deeply spiritual about the things I'm going to relay from the text this morning. But in them, it shows us that walking and living for God isn't something that is found in the clouds. But it happens in the everyday moments, in the good, the bad, and ugly of life. And yes, even death. This morning, we're going to learn that Abraham lived his life to the fullest, and you and I can do that as well if we will believe God, if we will trust God, if we will listen to his word and follow his ways, then we have the opportunity to not only leave a legacy for those that go after us, but also to experience his goodness and his grace as Abraham did each step of the way. This morning, we're going to see three blessings from believing God. First of all, the first blessing of believing God is it enables us, it enables us to finish well. In Genesis 25, we are told right away that Abraham dies. He dies at the age of 175. You think you're old? You're a young pup. 175 years of age. Now, the the, the axiom that comes to mind when we look at the life of Abraham is it isn't how you started, it's how you finish. It isn't how you start, it's how you finish this thing called life. Abraham, for the first 75 years, lived for himself. He worshipped other gods. His job was to make idols so that people could worship other gods instead of the one true God. But at 75 years of age, he comes to realize that God, Jehovah, Yahweh, is the God whom he is called to serve. And God has called him to live life with him, to experience him, to trust him and follow him, to surrender to him. And for the next hundred years, Moses tells us he did. Now Moses, who's writing this book of Genesis, tells us the following about Abraham. It says that he died at a good old age, an old man full of years, and that he was gathered to his people. This shares a tribute of a life lived well. Now, literally what is being articulated there is that He lived satisfied with life. Can you say that this morning? That you are satisfied with life? If you can't, if I can't, it isn't that our circumstances are keeping us from it. It is we are keeping ourselves from it. And the reason why we're not satisfied with life is we have not given, we have not surrendered our life to the one who truly satisfies. And so you and I are called, if we want to have this epitaph to our lives, we need to be willing to give it to the one who can truly satisfy. Well, how do we believe God well? Write these two things down. Abraham did two things with regards to finishing well. First of all, he loved well. He loved well. Just write that down somewhere. It's not in, in, in the, the screen outline. But he loved well. It tells us Abraham would bury his wife, Sarah, in chapter 23. She would die. She would die at the age of 127. 
So Abraham would live another almost 50 years without the love of his life. Now we are told that they would live as husband and wife for over 100 years. What a testimony. What a sign of dedication and commitment. Was it a perfect marriage? No. They had their issues and struggles. And no doubt, if they were standing here today, there would be episodes in their life where they would absolutely be ashamed for the decisions they made and the actions they took. How true is that for any of us? How true is that for any of us who are in marriage? We have done dumb things. Abraham and Sarah will have hurt each other over and over again. Isn't that true of any marriage? That we can hurt one another. We can cause each other great sorrow because of decisions we make. Did they have a traditional family? No. It was a blended family. You had stepchildren and you had all manner of issues going on. Some that even in some ways are even dysfunctional for our day and age. They had issues. And yet we see a great deal of love shared by these two. Turn in your Bibles to Genesis 23 for a moment, just a couple pages back. And in verses 1 and 2 we see Sarah lived 127 years. And then she died and it tells us where she died in Canaan. And it says, Abraham went in to mourn for Sarah and to weep for her. Those phrases combined speak of the absolute loss that a spouse has for one that has died. I have sat with those who have said goodbye to the loves of their life. I've sat and watched the weeping and the mourning of a husband who for 50 years had woken up each and every day to that beautiful woman he called his wife. The ebbs and flows of life, the joys of children and, and even grandchildren and all the dynamics that come into life and watch a strong, capable man break down like a baby and cry and weep and be so filled with sorrow. His love, his one and only, his beloved, gone. The massive hole that Abraham must have experienced, his partner in life, his lover, his confidant, his best friend, gone. And he weeps and he mourns. Did you know this is the first time we see any mention in the Bible of a person weeping and mourning? This is the first time. Now, was Abraham the first to mourn and weep? Surely, Adam and Eve wept and mourned for the loss of Abel earlier on. But something tells Moses that this sorrow that Abraham feels is noteworthy, that it makes for the first time in all of biblical history someone weeping and mourning unlike maybe anything that Moses had seen through the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. And it tells us the care that Abraham had for his wife. 
Now it goes on in chapter 23, and it tells us of the extent that Abraham goes to make sure there is a resting place for his wife. Remember, he is a sojourner. He's wandering around the land of Canaan. God's promised him Canaan, but he doesn't own any of it right now. And so he has to go to the Hittite clan, and he has to ask them for a proper place and a proper uh, burial plot where he can bury his wife. What we see is a marriage filled with love and sincerity. Abraham loved Sarah well. Now there's an application for all of us with regards to relationships. The commitment and dedication. But might I say that there is a marriage application for those that are living life with a spouse right now. And let me ask you the question this morning, are you loving your spouse well? Don't too quickly allow that question to go where your spouse is lacking. Well, I would, Pastor, if he would do this, this, and this. I would do that, Pastor, if she was more like that, that, and that. Let that question sit over you. Let it weigh heavily upon you. Am I loving well my spouse? In the big things and in the little things. Am I loving my spouse well where I think she should be loved or he should be loved? And even in the places I don't think they need to be loved. Abraham loved Sarah well. Now they had hurt each other. And they had done stupid things against one another. And no doubt forgiveness had been extended. Are you loving your spouse as Christ loves the church? Are you sacrificing for them? Are you caring and nurturing your spouse in such a way that honors them, honors them and glorifies God? You see, for us to finish well as married individuals is to love our spouses each and every day until we're called home. Can you look in your spouse's eyes and say, I've done that well, to the best of my ability. Not perfectly, but I've done it to the best that I can. Now Moses seems to paint this incredible romantic picture of Abraham and Sarah. 100 years of marriage, aged man burying his wife, weeping over her loss. And yet, in chapter 25, just a couple chapters later, all the romance is thrown out. The Hallmark Channel movie of Abraham and Sarah is abruptly stopped. She dies. And of course what he would do is say there's no way to find another spouse like Sarah. But he does. He finds a wife named Keturah. Now, we don't know anything really about Keturah, but this experience is a great opportunity to speak to such circumstances. Well, God has purposed one man and one woman to live in marriage for a lifetime by his grace. God has given provision for widows and widowers the opportunity to get married again after they've lost a spouse in death. In fact, Paul tells the church in Corinth that the only stipulation 
that that widow or widower has as a follower of God is to find another follower of God and disciple of Jesus Christ. He says that only in the Lord. And it seems that that's exactly what Abraham does. That Keturah would have been a faithful wife. And, and what we see is that this marriage is symbolized by love through the many, many children born to Abraham and Keturah, which is recorded. Six sons are recorded to be born. Abraham, once again, loves well, it seems. But when it comes to navigating a second marriage, can we just be honest, it's difficult? It is here that any widow or widower needs the wisdom of Solomon, the timing of a second marriage, the process, the needs you have as an individual, the feelings of your family, and so on. Abraham would have had to have navigated that just as we today have to navigate that if God puts us in those circumstances. And so let's recognize a couple things. Number one, as Christians, let's recognize that the loss of a spouse leaves a massive hole in the lives of those who are left behind. But I want you to know for those widows and widowers in our church today that God can fill that loss. That Christ can do that. The Bible says over and over again that God is a defender and protector of the widows. He is the sustainer, it says in other passages, for the widows. He longs and cares for those who have lost their spouse. But God in his grace gives opportunity. And I would say as a pastor, so should we. And so this goes out to anyone who has a mom and dad or a close family member that finds themselves without a spouse because of death. Be gracious. Extend love. Extend understanding. We have no idea the level of pain and sorrow of what it means to have loved well and to lose through death. Abraham seems to do it well, and it allows him to finish well. The second thing he does is he leads well. Just so you know, these, this first point will take a little longer, and then we'll move quickly through the next couple points. But he leads well. In Genesis 25, we are told at some point in his old age, he blesses his children with gifts. And so he brings his children together, and as the patriarch of the family, of the faith, he begins to extend love and grace to his children. And then it says that he gifts Isaac with one of the greatest gifts of all, a wonderful and godly woman, Rebecca. Now I could go and spend a lot of time on that, but, but, but parents, one of the greatest legacies you can leave is first of all, modeling what a healthy and vibrant marriage looks like, and two, being involved in the process of each of your children finding a spouse. Now, that happens long before they bring that date over for the first time. Pray for your children's spouses. Advise your children. My children, none of them are ready to be married. They better not be, okay? And we will sit our boys down and say, listen, 
this is what we want for your spouse. This is what you need to be looking for in a wife. I am beyond thankful that I have a wife who models to my three children what a good and godly and loving wife should be like. And that's what we need to be doing for our kids. Abraham goes even farther, and I know a lot of you parents wish we could go back to that. Abraham prearranges the marriage of Abraham, uh, I'm sorry, of Isaac and Rebekah. If you want to go there, go there. Good luck with it. Tell me how it works out. But that's what he does. So he leads well. And we're told, notice in Genesis 25 verse 9, that when he dies, this is so important, and we read, we run right by this. It tells us that Isaac and Ishmael come together and bury dad. Now, I want you to know the dynamics between Isaac and Ishmael are not good. And who can blame them? The soap opera that has taken place that each of these boys would have experienced created a dynamic that probably was forever broken. But because Abraham was such a good father, because he was such a loving father, because he was such a faithful man... These two boys, who no doubt have issues with one another, can go hand in hand, come to a place of understanding, come to a similar place of honor and respect, and go bury dad together. That's a life lived well. So well that the respect and honor in his death was able to allow whatever dysfunction the family had To be overlooked for the time of burial. Amazing implications of what it means to lead well as a father and as a mother. You see, at the end of Abraham's life, a couple things that he did. Number one, he gave gifts to his children. And we need to do that. You see, we live in a society that says, spend it all on yourself. But Abraham shows us, as the scripture Proverbs 13, 22 says, that a good man leaves an inheritance to his children's children. And so that means each of us, in our adult life, should live within our means and be open-handed and generous to all, but first and foremost to those who are closest to us. The second is he left a legacy of faith. The greatest gift and heritage was the faith that Abraham taught Isaac because it wasn't just Abraham who was a patriarch of the faith. Isaac, too, is in the hall of faith in Hebrews chapter 11. And as a son who has the great honor of walking in the footsteps of a great man like my own father, who's taught me faithfulness, who has taught me obedience, who has taught me not just with his words but with his deeds what it means to live life well for the glory of God. I now have the great responsibility of showing that to my three sons so that they may live blessed lives and may extend that blessing to further and future generations. Are you doing that this morning? Or are you promoting in your children their education, their athletics, 
their prowess in the arts, their gifts and abilities in the business worlds. All of those are wonderful and important for families and parents especially to extend to their children. But can I tell you, they may never use what you've taught them on those things in the future. But there's a 100% rate of certainty that they'll stand before the presence of Almighty God. And have you as parents, have I as a dad prepared our children well? to send them in the direction that they need to go. You want to finish well? It isn't how you started the race. It's how you finish it. And so maybe today you find yourself in a place that you have not run the race well. That's okay. Abraham and Sarah could come up here and share chapters upon chapters of terrible decisions in their life. I could go for even longer than that of the dumb decisions I have made in my life. But that is why we fall and throw ourselves to the grace and mercy of God. And God says it's a new opportunity. It's a new day. And so with the time you have left, whether you're 80 or 40, it doesn't matter. You've got breath in your air, in your lungs, and, and, and brain waves in your head. And use it to serve and honor God. Write this down, and don't ever forget this. I want to put this somewhere on our wall in our church. If you ain't dead, you ain't done. If you ain't dead, you ain't done. There's a new opportunity for you. There's an opportunity to serve, to love, to give. And if God hasn't taken you home, then today is a new opportunity to do so. Because when we do, we will finish well. All right. Spent 90% of my time on the first point. Let's look at point number two and three quickly. Believing in God allows us to do something else, and that is to remain faithful. Turn in your Bibles for a moment to the New Testament book of Romans. Romans chapter 4. In Romans chapter 4, we are learning from the Apostle Paul what it means to be a sinner saved by the grace of God. For the first three chapters of Romans, he tells us there's none righteous, not even one. We're all sinners and all fall short of the glory of God. Then in Romans 4, he begins to pivot from our sinfulness and utter inability to turn to God to this exercising of faith, this gift that God gives us of faith to believe God. God gives you the ability to believe as a gift to you and to me. And he says, I want to show you, you know who got it well, who did it right, And he could have chosen anybody in human history. And the Apostle Paul says in verse 18, let's look at Abraham. And in Romans chapter 4, this is page 942 in your pew Bible, it says, In hope Abraham believed against hope, that he should become the father of many nations as he had been told. So shall your offspring be. And Abraham did not weaken in faith when he considered his own body, which was as good as dead since he was about 100 years old. Or when he considered the barrenness of Sarah's womb. No distrust made him waver concerning the promise of God. But he grew strong in his faith and gave glory to God. Fully convinced that God was able to do what he had promised. That is why 
Abraham's faith was counted to him as righteousness. So Paul says, listen, you want to finish well? Then you need to remain faithful. And the way you remain faithful is by following this model of Abraham. This Abraham who it says hoped against hope. Now this is really important because what we learn about Abraham is that Abraham had two choices and they're the same two choices we have this morning. You see, there's news and there's fake news. Amen? Okay? Uh, That's not what I'm talking about, so if you thought I was going there, too bad. Okay? The world tells us fake news about ourselves. The devil tells us fake news about who we are. And the reason why we are so broken, and the reason why we are so isolated, and the reason why we are so lost and without hope is we buy into the hope of the world. What Abraham does is he says no to the fake news of what the world and the devil are promising him. And against that hope, he hoped in something that God was going to do. You want to remain faithful? You want to stay true to God? Stop reading the press of the world and the devil about you and your circumstances and start believing God. Believing the promises of God. And so what Abraham does is he says no to the wisdom of the world and yes to the wisdom of God. And so what that means is we've got to shut off the outlets of that media of the devil and the world. And we need to turn on the media of God that is his word and prayer that we might hope against all hope. Now when we do that, a couple things happen. Notice, we will not waver. We will not waver. No matter what the world throws at us, we will stand steadfast. Number two, we will grow in our walk with God, in our maturity. And three, we will give glory to God. Notice with me that when Abraham exhibits faith, When you and I exhibit faith that goes against the wisdom and the hope of the world, we bring glory to God. That is, God looks over to the angels and says, hey, that Abraham, he's a chip off the old block, isn't he? And that's what God says when we choose to live by faith and not by sight. That's my boy. That's my girl. I'm proud of them. They bring me glory And they tell the heavenly beings around God that living a life of faith brings great blessing. Finally, we see that Abraham was able to finish well and remain faithful because he looked forward. What would make a man, after all this, were closing out on his life, leave his homeland, leave everything he knew to live in tents, moving from place to place in a place that wasn't his own? What would make him do things that seemed absurd to the world and yet made total sense to him? Write this passage down, Hebrews 11.10. Hebrews 11.10 says the reason why Abraham does all of this is that 
he was looking, speaking of Abraham, forward to a city that has foundations, whose designer and builder is God. So, what Abraham did is he stopped looking at the here and now, and he started looking forward to the future. God's got a plan. God's got a purpose. God isn't done when I lay down my head and call it quits in life and die. But God's plan is going to continue on. And Abraham had faith in that. But even more than that, Abraham said, whatever is in this life, that is Canaan, whatever God's going to promise me of land, pales in comparison to what God is building in heaven. God is designing, God is building this place, Jesus tells us, for I go to prepare a place for Abraham, yes, but for us as well. And so if we are going to leave that legacy, if we're going to finish well, if we're going to remain faithful, it will all come down to our belief that we have a home that is not here. And that we will one day, when our life is done, or at the appearing of Jesus Christ our Lord, we will stand face to face in a place with him that he has designed and built for our blessing and our good. And we will spend eternity there. So if that is where our eternity is, and if our eternity is going to be filled with worshiping and praising and knowing God, If that's what eternity looks like, then what should this little dot on that eternal timeline look like here on earth? Should it be pursuing the things we want? Doing the things that bring us pleasure and joy only? Or should it be a prelude to what we're going to do in glory with God in heaven? So we've got a lot of work to do. We've got a week ahead of us where there's life we got a week ahead of us where there's family. we got a week before us where there's opportunity. Remember, if you ain't dead, you're not. Help me out. Done. So roll up the sleeves of your faith and trust God and believe God and pursue God and surrender to God so that you and I, when our lives are done, that we may have honored God each and every step of the way. And in the process, when we fail and when we struggle, to be able to experience the grace of God. While Abraham was in an awesome model for this, there's even a greater model, and that is Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ, who endured great hostility so that we might have grace and redemption. Jesus Christ, who now sits at the right hand of the Father, who's preparing a place for us, so that one day he can take us to be with him forever.